Wow. Another episode. Welcome again to the Small Chops Podcast. You'll notice that this is going to be a, a big change in what we have going on. And bear with me as I try to adjust to having good posture, to looking at the camera more often. <laughs> this is something that my boy E would definitely be, <laughs> he'd be laughing once he sees that I've incorporated a video element into this podcast. But I guess it is necessary. It's what we're here to do. What is necessary. And um, just hoping that I'm bringing you something that is more engaging at the end of the day, something that you can enjoy, whether you're just listening to it or actually have the time to watch me stare at you. So again, another episode of the small chops podcast. Uh, The last episode we started off, we ended with a deep dive into David data's intimate communion. And that was quite a time ago. And if you want to, you can definitely listen back to that first part. I think that covered about chapters one through five. There's so much into the, there's so much information in this book. I didn't want to just do like a two part or a three part. I actually wanted to go as close to chapter by chapter as I could. That's what I did with my notes. And I kind of broke them down into topics that I thought would be really impactful, interesting things to think about. And this has been a fantastic book to, to breeze through. And I'm really glad that, I, that I've taken extensive notes that I'm happy to share all of the notes that I have with whoever is interested And I hope that this can foster discussions, whether it's in your friend group or in your relationship with your partner or just, you know, things to think about as you're navigating um, this world, either on your own and looking or partnered and looking to improve. There are a lot of intricacies of personal growth and books like these are going to be what we focus on books, lectures, any kind of media that I can break down and I can kind of add my own two cents to, to present them to you in a, in a palatable way. Hopefully we'll be here doing that on a more consistent basis. I know this is the end of the year. I'd hate to start it as a new year's resolution. So I want to do this now so that when the new year comes around and you see that I'm already giving you weekly episodes, you're going to be like, Oh, you know, this is nothing new. And I'm going to hold to myself. I'm going to hold myself to that. And I hope you can hold that, hold me to it as well. It really helps when you comment and like and do whatever else you're supposed to do to make sure that I know that I'm not just talking to myself or speaking into the ether that this is actually resonating with someone. As we dive back into this book, I'm um, starting off with chapter eight and getting through about seven and chapter six and getting through about seven and eight. One of the, my favorite, one of the quotes that stuck out to me from the book in chapter six specifically, it says, we are all trying to win at something. David goes on to say, whether it's wealth, love, personal fulfillment, we're in a constant search. But what do we really know about this pursuit? At the end of the day, we have what we'd like to come out of this pursuit, but we have, we really have no idea what to expect. We have no idea whether the information or the effort that we're putting forth in these pursuits is going to pay dividends, but we continue anyway in hopes and where do we learn it? Where do we learn these expectations or these uh, these desires that the output is going to match or the return on investment is going to be worthwhile? Interesting, interestingly, our searches differ in nature and, and approach when it comes to the genders, when it comes to the essences, whether it's masculine or feminine. So there is no there are the extremes, but they're very much uh, 
are very nuanced versions of this as well. Let's explore in one part of this book, the three stages of masculine growth. I thought that that was really interesting because of how intimate communion is supposed to be this pinnacle of relationship, this pinnacle of togetherness of union with your significant other. And it comes from both essences kind of going up the ladder for the masculine. The stage one is the pursuit of tangible achievements, the pursuit of money, power, pleasure, all, all in the pursuit of a better life, right? Conquering really encapsulates stage one, masculine essences. I hear freedom is an external conquest. It is so important for that stage one masculine essence to maintain their freedom. And it is a tall task in order to have that freedom sacrificed or for a partner to ask for that freedom, right? Someone to say, hey, you know, I want to enter into this monogamous, monogamish, even whatever situation there is a freedom that that stage one masculine essence has to forego. And it is, it's a real tough, it's a real tough ask. It's a tall order for that uh, masculine essence to do so. Stage two focuses on the focuses on the shift to authenticity and self-improvement. This is a stage where one starts to look at the things that they've achieved or the places they've been able to live or the destination, the, the vacations, anything like that all they've been able to achieve, all they've been able to conquer, so to speak, and say, you know what, what was the cost? What did I have to give up? What did I have to adjust? What did I have to change? What did I have to adapt to in order to succeed in this in this uh, conquest attempt? And after questioning, I think the stage two masculine essence starts to say, hey, you know what, even if I can't attain every single thing that I want to attain, there is a little bit more value in being more authentic. There's more value in pursuing the things that really genuinely speak to me. Um, spending my days pursuing those activities or pursuing whatever it is that genuinely resonates with who I am. But that taught that that takes a lot of self-reflection and of course even more sacrifice. In addition to the focus on authenticity and self-improvement, there's also the sinking of inner wisdom in a harmonious life, right? It's almost like the return to the Garden of Eden, which is impossible in the biblical sense, but creating a Garden of Eden of your own somewhere. And that leads into the third stage as well. Um, the, third stage, the third stage transcends these, aiming for self-mastery and letting go of the endless search for completion. If only I get this, or if only I'm there, if only I can monetize this, or if only I can get so many subscribers, or if only I can get attention here or there. These are all part of that stage one, stage two masculine essence that thinks, hey, once I do this, I'm going to be able to get here. Or I'm going to be able to have access to here, or I'm going to be able to have these kinds of options. And that's not necessarily so. In the book, David Data speaks about that third stage masculine essence which is most compatible with intimate communion really letting go of that endless chase that we get wrapped up in in this human experience david also talks about the feminine essence 
and I didn't go too much into detail about that in my notes, simply because this is come, coming from my point of view, what I've learned from this book. He speaks very, very um, passionately about the stages of the feminine essence. Um, not so. I wouldn't even say he speaks passionately about it. I would say that he touches on the stages of the feminine essence, but definitely not as rigorously as he had the masculine essence. But he did note, or I did note, something that was poignant in the book, and that the feminine essence is primarily driven by a need for love, yearning to express and release the love within the feminine essence's heart. I thought that was really interesting because it is a desire to not only be loved that the feminine essence seeks, but also help releasing the love that is within. There's so much to give and there's so much that the feminine essence can do, but maybe it's like one of those fairy tales where they can't do it on their own. There must be some kind of unlocking from the outside in order to have access. And both parties have access to it too. Not only the feminine essence, but whoever they share that love with. I thought that was really interesting. Moving on to exploring sexual substitutes and intimacy. Chapter 7 introduces us to the concept of sexual substitutes. And this was probably, out of the three chapters, this is the one that made me go, wow, I really learned something new here. This is genuinely something that I never thought about. And this book really opened my eyes to sexual substitutes. Data discusses how feminine and masculine energies can manifest outside of personal relationships. The feminine essence, like nature, is nurturing yet unpredictable while the masculine can be found in the pulsating life of a city, in ambition and completion. Reflecting on the places that I've lived, which at this point, close to 10, I've lived close to 10 places for at least three months. And many of those places have, I would say all of those places have a distinct masculine or feminine essence. The only one that kind of gives me pause would probably be Portland, Oregon, because it's still a metropolis. It's very much a big, bustling, organized city. But there is the masculine energy of that city is very different from any other metropolis that I've lived. But yeah, I can say that when I lived in Lago Atitlan in Guatemala, I think that that was a very, very feminine essenced place. The nature there, the beauty, the, the, I couldn't tell you how often I would just stop in a walk and reflect and look around and just enjoy the beauty, really kind of let it, you know, take over and let it kind of just, it, it was beautiful. It was. I've also lived in Newark, New Jersey. And while it's a very different form of beauty, there is that hustle and bustle. There is that ambition. There is that drive that if you're not keeping up with the city, the city's going to run over you. Of course, New York City is like that. LA is probably like that. Miami is like that. London is like that. Lisbon is like that. There's so many places around this world that have either a feminine or a masculine energy. And even the Bay Islands of Honduras that I spent a couple of months out there, you could really see how calming, how beautiful how how just though unpredictable still very much a nurturing environment i could definitely see that 
the book had a really interesting part as well. Imagine an example, a really interesting example. Imagine a surfer having a relationship with the sea, having a relationship with nature, right? It's really receiving that feminine nurturing, even though the sea can be very dangerous and very difficult. You know, those waves that come about that surfer, that, that man, let's say has a relationship with that feminine essence. Now let's say that surfer became the object of someone's, uh, a woman's uh, affection, right? Let's say somebody wanted to kick it with that surfer, that woman, that feminine essence person, that woman would have to have, would have to understand that they are in competition with the sea, with the relationship that that surfer has with the water, the allure of nature. On the other hand, a woman living in New York City, let's say, has a relationship with the city, has a relationship with that bustle, that hustle. And that's something that a man that's pursuing her is going to have to really take into account, really compete with. A masculine essence drawn to a corporate city dweller might find itself competing with the drive and dynamism of the urban environment. Super interesting. Data also warns of the frustrations that arise when we seek from our partners sexual energy that isn't native to their essence. Transitioning from uh, substitutes to really kind of understanding where our particular natures or essences are is super important. For example, there might be a woman that has a masculine essence more a masculine leaning essence, let's say. And for that woman, finding a partner that needs someone to have a feminine essence, an over a uh, majority feminine essence could be a task. And while she could play that role for a while, it may not be sustainable. And the same goes for the man. If there's a man that has maybe a feminine leaning or even say, let's say a man has an extremely masculine essence and they have attracted the attention of a woman who's looking for a partner a little bit more middle of the road. Someone who has high emotional intelligence, somebody who is really interested in maybe some of the more feminine aspects of their personality. This relationship may not be sustainable. If both of those parties, if both parties are more are paying more attention to their essences. That made me reflect on who I am and who I present and really understanding that. I don't know if there's a test for that the same way that there's a test for, you know, 16 personalities or something like that, but it is very, very important for us to all take into account, not only how we present ourselves, but what is most comfortable and natural to us. Right. They have some really interesting tests when it comes to like your sexual preferences. I think those tests are helpful. Even the tests that have like, what is it called? Your um, D&D profile. I forget the name of it particularly. I'll leave it in the show notes, but a test to where you can be like chaotic evil or lawful good or neutral or something like that. Kind of where you lean when it comes to following rules or are you self-serving or community serving and things like that. These are all aspects of your essence. And it's super important for us to embrace and understand that living in our natural essence is going to attract those who want to balance that particular essence. And I really think it's important to pay attention to that. And I really love how David brought attention to that fact. In chapter eight, 
data asserts that intimacy is fully realized only after one aligns with their sexual essence and life mission. In this case, the masculine essence is more concerned with direction and goals, often appearing self-centered, actually. In contrast, the feminine essence is primarily moved by the flow of love in the relationship. I've probably said it before on this podcast, my favorite analogy of a relationship and one that I think works really well until, you know, I find something better would be a boat. I'd say a small sailboat. And in that culture, there are no two captains of a sailboat in the same way there are no two first mates of a sailboat. Ideally, there is a captain for sure. And while a captain can maintain a boat on their own, first mate is an excellent addition to the crew. A first mate allows the captain to entrust certain responsibilities of the boat's maintenance and of this just day-to-day, general day-to-day actions on the boat. And while the first mate does have input, the first mate isn't concerned with where the boat is going. They do know where the boat is going, but they may be able to influence decisions about direction. But overall, that would be the captain's duty is to maintain the direction, the course, the goal of that boat and where they want to go. And it could be subject to change depending on both of them, both of them. But ultimately, it is the decision of the captain. I also think that it is very similar in partner dancing. I've spent a, I guess I'm two years into salsa now. Wow, two years. I'm two years into salsa now. And there can't be two leaders and there can't be two followers. A leader can't change their choice of movement for the follower without a little bit of friction. If the follower isn't notified where the leader would like them to go with ample time, it creates disorder a little bit, creates a little bit of chaos, which needs to be, you know, surmounted or it needs to be alleviated and things like that. But with a leader knowing where they want to go and what they want to do for this dance, it creates an ease. It creates an expectation that can be fulfilled and it allows for the, for the follower to really add their own personality, their own style, style, spice. I was about to say spice and style to the dance, which is chef's kiss. The book goes on to say the masculine modality can be a gift offering perseverance through obstacle. When you're really in tuned, and this is both women and women, And everyone in between, when you're really in tuned, when you're really focused, when you're really intentional with your time and your energy and your effort towards a specific goal, towards a specific destination, this is tapping into your masculine essence. This is really getting into that masculine aspect of our personalities. However, when it comes to intimacy, the need for connection, especially before engaging intimate activities, is of paramount importance to the feminine essence, while the masculine seeks to solve problems and find purpose. There was a really interesting part of the book where it says the masculine essence will not alleviate a problem of the feminine essence with masculine strategy. And in that particular moment, if, you know, a woman is having an issue and just wants her man to listen At that moment, that man being in his masculine energy does not create 
what the woman wants. They, if they're looking to solve a problem, instead of listening and being empathetic, that's going to create more friction. And Lord, how many times have I done that in relationships? But instead, kind of step out of that masculine essence a little bit and lean more towards the empathy, the understanding, the, the giving and taking, which I think is much more effective in, I guess, balancing or finding resolution to what that woman might be asking for. These three chapters were really beautiful. I could go on for hours about each, but I really just wanted to kind of encapsulate them and encourage you to read them because these chapters are very, very, very full of really poignant and impactful information for me in my life and my pursuit of a, of a worthwhile, you know, relationship and playing my part. Committing to the practice of intimate communion is a shared responsibility. Enriching the relationship and deepening the connection. It's all about exploring what love looks like without self-protection, about authenticity, and about contributing our unique gifts to the ongoing practice of intimacy. For now, I hope you've enjoyed this breakdown of this section of this particular book. I am adamant about bringing you the next few chapters or the next few sections of Intimate Communion by David Data in these next coming weeks. And you will get more consistency from me. You're going to get a video aspect, which I'm still blown up by. But the audio aspect will absolutely be uploaded. As I sign off, you can always find me not posting on my Instagram page, www.effabl.co. No, maybe it's just EFF. I think it's just EFFABL.co. Effable. That is also the website, EFFABL.co slash podcast. You'll be able to hear this. But of course, if you're listening to this, then you already know where to go for it. I really appreciate you checking in again. Thank you for sticking with me. And I really look forward to providing a little bit more, a lot more access to my thoughts and what I've been uh, consumed by over these last couple of weeks. As we're wrapping up 2023, make sure that you are not giving up on the rest of this year. We still have a couple of weeks to go. And while 2024 is right around the corner, let's let's make sure that we end this year well. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Small Chops Podcast.